I am just so honored to be talking to Dr. Kimberly Biss today. She was on our panel, our OBGYN Speaks panel. If you haven't already gone back and listened or watched it on Rumble, um, it is now also available under our podcast, Faithful Freedom, on Apple, Spotify, anywhere you listen to your podcast as well. It is a dynamic and important conversation that we had with these esteemed OBGYNs and uh, Dr. Thorpe, Dr. Northrup, who I just had on recently on the podcast. And now we are talking to Dr. Biss today. She is delivering some very important anecdotal data and as well as data um, from straight from her practice about the increase in miscarriages. It's just just so um, so tragic, really, what we're seeing happening across, um, you know, infertility and what we're seeing across pregnant women after they have gotten this shot. And so Dr. Biss is one of the few OBGYNs speaking out about this. And I know so many women or men listening that know women who have experienced menstrual irregularities or have lost a baby, have had trouble getting pregnant afterward. This is a major issue that is affecting so, so many people and so many feel like they cannot talk about it. So um, it is just, I can't stress how important it is for these doctors to be speaking out and how some of them are really putting um, a lot on the line by doing so. We know the censorship and the, um, you know, the threats that these doctors have been put under, but they are doing some incredible work. So we're going to talk about that and a new study that her and some of these OBGYNs are doing with Dr. Ryan Cole. So this is very interesting and we're going to talk about it here on Faithful Freedom with Dr. Biss. Where do we go from here? Because the battle has just begun. As eyes open, we continue to arm ourselves with the truth in all aspects of our lives, asking questions and relentlessly searching for answers, educating ourselves and forging a new path forward. Hear from real people faithfully pursuing freedom. This is Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA, a nonprofit 501c3 organization working to preserve and reclaim our God-given inalienable rights. Dr. Biss, thanks for joining the show today. Thanks for taking time out of your day and seeing patients to talk with us. No problem. It's important. It is very important. And I want to plug your Twitter page for people right off the bat. Um, Anyone that follows you on Twitter or anybody that was on our panel, including we didn't have on that graphic, but Poppy Daniels, Dr. Daniels, you all are firecrackers on social media and you don't back down. And it is so important that we have strong voices like all of you. And so I just want to plug that and tell people to go follow you because it's, it's important that you're speaking out like that. Yeah, my handle is at DocBiss, D-O-C-B-I-S-S, so easy to remember. It is easy to remember. And you, you know, have gone viral, and we talked about it in the panels, you know, just basically saying, hey, guys, I am seeing an alarming amount of miscarriages in my practice. And, um, you know, that was a couple months ago that that video went viral, but you're still continuing to see those, um, unfortunately, in your practice. I know that, you know, Michelle Gershman, the nurse that was on our panel, she texts us a lot saying how, you know, she's, 
there's a fetal demise today in um, in the ER once again. Um, how frequent does it feel when you're you're in it? Like you are in it. So does it feel so frequent to you personally because you're surrounded by it all the time? So fortunately, we haven't seen an increase in our stillbirth rate. Um, I actually had the unit uh, figures sent to me as far as how many deliveries we've had and how many stillbirths we've had uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. So really since January of 2020. And the stillbirth rate at our facility has been relatively stable and consistent with you know, what Dr. Thorpe had said was the rate of stillbirths prior to the pandemic and even in the year of the pandemic. So we haven't seen that fortunately um, in our area of Florida. And I haven't heard that that's been an issue in regional hospitals in the Tampa Bay area either. So I think it's definitely in areas where the vaccination rates were much higher. And we're now since learning, it depends on the batch the lot numbers of some of these vaccines too. So hopefully a lot of people in Florida got a lot of duds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know they were very sensitive. They had to be kept at a certain temperature, things like that. And, um, you know, yeah, we hope that many people did get duds so that they will, will be okay. And, you know, Michelle, nurse Michelle, she's in California, you know, mandates were stronger around there too. So I would imagine, yeah, that vaccination status would be greater um, in her area than yours. But let's talk about the miscarriages that, that you are seeing. Um, first, for those listening, let's just read it. Let's just for them, remind them and the definition of a miscarriage, what weeks that consists of, and give them that frame of mind. Sure. So a miscarriage is a pregnancy loss that occurs prior to 20 weeks of gestation. So once you're 20 weeks, a loss after that point would be considered a stillbirth. Um, most people will miscarry in the first trimester. So an early second trimester loss is very rare. Um, so I will just say that the what's quoted in our literature um, for many, many years, I even went back and looked at my obstetric textbook from the early 90s because you know how everybody's changing definitions yeah. of everything all the time. And even in that book, it said the normal miscarriage rate was 10 to 15%. But I've never seen that clinically in almost 30 years of doing this. Um, and even a NAERT, N-A-E-R-T, uh, published a paper showing that the actual miscarriage rate is probably closer to 5 to 6%. Um, and that's probably been what my um, experience has been in all the years. And even in the year 2020, when I went back and did a deep dive on all my data, the rolling month to month miscarriage rate for our practice was 4%. And then with each year, it doubled. So in 2021, it went up to seven to 8%. And then in 2022, it went up to 15%. And that data was sent to Jessica Rose. She did a Substack on it in November of 2022. She published it. So in December, she didn't have my data, but the miscarriage rate was actually 25%. We had 41 newly registered pregnant patients and 13 of them lost their babies. Um, so, so far this year, um, the miscarriage rates 15 and 20% in January and February. I don't have March's numbers yet, but I will tell you since the beginning of this year, the number of newly registered patients is significantly less 
than what we're used to seeing. So, and I've noticed that trend go down since 2020. Um, so that probably is because people aren't able to get pregnant or they're losing their pregnancies before they even call the doctor to make an appointment. So it's a problem. And actually my, I'm part of a large women's organization that I won't name, but they actually were questioning my office manager yesterday as to why we're not doing as many deliveries as we have been doing. And I, I was like, would you just tell them to watch one of my podcasts? <laughs> they never would. <laughs> like, uh, gee, probably, I <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Well, you hear that statement just generically, um, you know, not just having to deal with births or women or anything like that. Just, you know, oh, I, you know, I feel like I'm going to so many more funerals these days, or, oh, I feel like so many more young people are getting cancer or sick or having heart attacks. What's going, I wonder what's going on. What do you mean? You wonder <laughs> what's going on. There's a direct correlation. Um, and, and you guys have done a great job to differentiate between um, what you've seen during COVID versus what you've seen since the vaccine rollout too, because there's a lot of people on Twitter too um, that try to come at us and, and say that this is COVID related only and not vaccine related. Yes. And, you know, it's, it's incredible because a lot of the things that people are publishing on Twitter saying, oh, extensive studies have shown and I would love to see these studies because we didn't see the problems in 2020, you know, and everybody was supposed to perish. I mean, pregnant women actually did better than non-pregnant women. And that was um, put out in a paper by Beth Pinellas, P-I-N-E-L-E-S. She's a maternal fetal medicine specialist in the Houston area. And she published that data when she was seeing how women who were admitted for COVID from April of 2020 to May of 2021, um, pregnant women were less likely to succumb to the virus. The mortality rate was st uh, statistically significant in the study showing that pregnant women were less likely to die if they were infected with COVID. Now their, their admission rates were higher and their ventilation rates were the same but my argument to that is doctors get very nervous around a pregnant patient. So they probably were, their threshold for admitting them was probably a lot lower and they probably maybe jump too quickly to place them on a ventilator because they're just, they get very nervous around pregnant women if they're not an obstetrician, but the mortality definitely was less. So there must be, you know, something, you know, pregnant women that we've always been taught are immunocompromised, but I would argue is probably the opposite. I think they probably have a very robust immune system because looking back in almost 30 years of doing this, we don't have a sickly population. And my population is very mixed. I mean, it's, you know, demographics are all over the map. I have a bunch of ethnicities in my practice. It's not like it's one sector of people, you know, so, and they've all, they're all for the most part have been very healthy when they've been pregnant. So, and the, and the things we're seeing now, we didn't see in 2020, um, 
you know, we had more pregnancies in 2020. And I think that's because of the lockdowns. People sure. needed something to do. <laughs> sure. You know, we had a lot of births in November and December and in the early portion of 2021, because that was the leftover from 2020. But then the numbers started to decline. So, and the other things we're seeing in pregnancy too, like they say COVID caused a lot of premature birth. Well, we didn't see a lot of premature births in 2020. We're seeing more now and more are being induced prematurely because of the problems with the preeclampsia and the low amniotic fluid around the babies, which both are a reflection of not very healthy placentas. So, it's, That's it's, interesting. It's, that so you think that the preeclampsia that you're seeing in the low amniotic fluid that stemming mostly from the health of the placenta. Yeah, preeclampsia is definitely related to what we call placentation, where the you know invasion of the uterine wall by the placenta. Um, there, we don't really know actually what causes preeclampsia, or we certainly would have been able to prevent a lot of it by now, but it is definitely involving the placenta. And, you know, we're, we're, we're having a lot more of it now, as well as the fluid volume is being low. So we're having to admit patients and deliver them sooner than their due date, which is obviously going to raise um, neonatal intensive care unit admissions, et cetera. Um, and then the other thing uh, was the postpartum hemorrhages have increased and even anesthesia personnel have walked up to me and asked me about that because they have to be involved in that situation if we have to take a patient back to the operating room, obviously. And even they're noticing that, you know, we've, they've never seen as many hemorrhages as we've seen in the past. So something we're going to try to, you know, look into in the study that I had you know, we had talked to you about in the previous um, episode to see if there's any spike or, or lipid nanoparticles in the, you know, uterine tissue. Because sadly, some women have had to get hysterectomies immediately after birth because we can't stop the bleeding. So oh, that is just, I, it's really tragic and um, scary, right? Whenever someone, are you seeing this hemorrhaging happening shortly after birth, weeks after birth? How soon is the, the hemorrhaging happening? Yeah, so postpartum hemorrhage, there's um, early postpartum hemorrhage is within the first 24 hours. Delayed or late postpartum hemorrhage would be at any time after that. The, the delayed hemorrhages are pretty rare. Um, so most occur usually relatively close to birth while the woman's still in the hospital. Um, but, and it's defined as a, a half of a liter or a liter of blood volume lost. And that's a pretty significant amount because the average human has about five liters. So that could be up to 20% of your blood volume. But what's interesting is there's certain patients that are at risk for a postpartum hemorrhage. For example, a lady that has a twin pregnancy because the uterus is going to be much more expanded than a singleton pregnancy because there's two babies in there. So it may not contract down in the normal way and can allow for her to have more bleeding. Now, the hemorrhages I've been experiencing have not been in patients that really had any risk factors. They were 
let's say, an elective C-section for breech presentation. Well, she wasn't even laboring. There's one baby in there. There's no reason for this bleeding. I've had to take two people back to the operating room. And the first time in my career, I had to pack their uterus. I've never even done that ever. But the medicines we normally use to try to stop the bleeding and the normal maneuvers aren't working as well. Um, Dr. McDyer is one who had a patient who needed to have a hysterectomy because no matter what they tried, she wouldn't stop bleeding. And she was after having a cesarean section. Um, very bizarre. And when you normally after a delivery, you massage the top of the uterus, which is what is called the fundus. And that's what helps the uterus to clamp down. And when it contracts down, it's clamping down around the blood vessels that are bleeding where the placenta was attached. So interestingly, in these cases, when you feel their uterus, their uterus is rock hard at the top. So the bleeding must be occurring lower down, closer to where the cervix is located in that portion of the uterus. It's very bizarre, but very scary. <laughs> I bet it is scary. And to me, it immediately springs to mind wondering if there's any correlation between, I mean, we hear, we've heard of as far as menstrual irregularities go, you know, different ends of the spectrum, one end, women not having periods anymore. But then we've heard a lot of stories of hemorrhaging or very heavy bleeding too from from women just during their menstrual cycle um, post mm -hmm. getting the vaccine. So that kind of, you know, reminded me of that too. I wonder, if, do you think that there's any possible correlation between the two? Yeah, there's definitely, we didn't see these problems in 2020. Mm -hmm. So women that got infected with COVID, they didn't have these menstrual issues. Very bizarre. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's all related to the spike protein. I think there's something else involved, like maybe the lipid nanoparticles. Um, because again, we weren't seeing this in 2020. But we are, we are going to look at that more closely. We're early in the process of developing a study where we're going to look at tissue blocks from patients that have had either, you know, a biopsy of the uterine lining or a hysterectomy to see if there's spike or lipid nanoparticles in the tissue. So, and interestingly too, um, if you look on the My Cycle Story site, a lot of the women that had the issues with the bleeding weren't even vaccinated, but they were around other vaccinated women which or men, which uh, suggests the possibility of shedding. Um, so if we were to find spike or lipid nanoparticles in the tissues in women that weren't vaccinated, then that would, the only other way that could get there would be with the process of shedding or being around somebody that, you know, had newly been vaccinated. And then that was that, transmitted to that person. That is an incredible... Um, bit of information that you guys could gain, you know, could figure out from this study that you are partnering with Dr. Ryan Cole to to look at these mm -hmm. um, tissue samples. Uh, I mean, we have a lot to gain from this, a lot of knowledge that we can gain from this study that that you guys are um, taking part in. Tell people how important it is that. Um, you're willing <laughs> to be doing these studies. I, it feels like so many uh, in the medical community don't even think it's necessary to do some of these studies. 
Yeah, there's so much um, still, um, yeah. you know, willful blindness, you know, they can't <laughs> veer off the path or the narrative or whatever. I will say, though, you know, definitely in 2021, you couldn't have any conversations with anybody. I mean, it was either this way or that way. But there's more people in the movable middle now that I think are kind of realizing there's an issue, um, at least realizing that these injections didn't do anything as far as preventing infection or, you know, um, and, you know, everybody by now has had a friend or somebody they know that's had maybe a vaccine injury or a miscarriage. I mean, it's, it's pretty hard for whoever the they is that <laughs> wants to keep this going to suppress all that information now, because even if it's not being seen on Twitter or YouTube, I mean, you're seeing it in real life, you know, so there's more people that are willing to now talk about it. But I, I think there's two. It's hard if you've been injected to possibly think about a lot of things, because that what does that mean for you or your family? You know, mm -hmm. so there's a lot, you know, I think it's very admirable for people that have gotten the vaccine that are now speaking out against it because um, that's very hard to do. And as doctors and scientists, it's very hard to admit you were wrong. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, that's, so I don't know, but I, I, I think we're coming around. I actually have nurses coming up to me. Of course, they speak very softly to me. Oh, I saw your podcast last week. You know, that was great. Lots of good information. You know, we've been thinking that way for the last year. <laughs> so, and they're passing it along to their friends and their group and stuff. So that's good. I mean, that's why I do this. I'm not trying to, you know, become famous or whatever. I just want to get the information out to as many people as I can. So. Yeah. And I know that for a fact, you know, I, I talk to you guys on a fairly regular basis and I know the hard work that you're all putting in behind the scenes to really try and find answers for your for your patients and um, to find solutions, too. But first, we got to collect all this data um, to figure out exactly what's happening and what's going on before um, you can make too much headway with with the solutions. Um, what is then the. The, what are the conversations like with your with your patients that are coming in and, and having miscarriages? Um, are they at, starting to ask you questions about um, what could be the causes of it? You know, if there is any correlation with the vaccine or shedding or anything like that, what is the consensus with what you're seeing from your patients experiencing this? Yeah, so there's two conversations. So let's let's just switch to the pregnant patients. So yeah. all the obstetric patients in our practice uh, rotate through three providers. There's another physician and a midwife in our group. And I, I'm pretty much the only one that really makes sure that their information gets in the chart as far as whether or not they've ever had COVID and how many times and when, and did they get any of the injections. And I try to find out the type and when those were received. Um, and when I ask those questions, I just say, you know, we ask all our patients, so we're not singling anybody out. But a few of them will say, yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting any more or I'm not getting those shots because my friend 
went and got a shot and she miscarried or my friend had a stillbirth or or there was some bad thing in a friend. Um, most of them, you know, about 60% of our obstetric practice last year when I looked at all of our patients had had at least two injections when they early when they first came out in 2021. Um, not a lot went and got the third, fourth and the bivalent boosters, thank God. Um, it's hard with having that discussion with somebody who's miscarried because you don't want to come across as accusatory. Mm -hmm. The woman's already going to think she did something wrong. Yeah. So unless we have that information on the chart, um, it's, you know, we just, we're not going to find that out. Um, I, I will also say with the obstetric population, they're very willing to have this discussion now. I had patients in 2021 that actually refused to see me because they couldn't believe I would suggest that there was anything wrong with the COVID and vaccine. I mean, they just, you know, but now it's not that way. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I was one of those uh, trying desperately to find a doctor that um, wasn't going to push it on me, you know, during that rollout whenever I was pregnant. So I could see, and even now, I mean, you tell me now, do you feel like there are people now that are trying to seek out either you or like-minded mm -hmm. colleagues like you um, after everything that's happened, that there is now a demand for care from, from people and doctors like you? Yeah, I've had a few patients and I've also had patients where, um, because a lot of my GYM patients, my uh, assistant rooms the patients and does all the questions and stuff for the computer and the questions they know to ask are about COVID and the shots. And a lot of them will say that they did get the vaccine because they don't want to hear from a doctor the push to get one. And then I'll come in the room and, and after talking to them, they'll say, well, I really never got the shot. I just didn't want anybody to browbeat me into getting an injection, you know? So, so there's that, but there are people that have, you know, heard about me or seen me or whatever, and they've, you know, now established with me and they're happy that, you know, I'm one of their doctors cause they don't want to feel pressured. And even in the beginning, um, you know, a lot of patients were calling and asking for letters from us so they didn't have to get their shots in order to stay with their employer. And our company told us we weren't allowed to write those letters. So what I did was I printed that wonderful Shima Bakuro article that came out in June of 2021 showing how this is safe and effective and your miscarriage rate was only 13% when it was actually 80%. So I recalculated the statistics on the side and I handed that out to the patients and they showed it to their employer. And then of course the employer is going to get all nervous because they don't know what their legal, whatever. And a lot of them were able to get out of the the mandate with that article. But yeah, we were specifically told we could not write any letters for these patients, but we could write letters for the patients so that they could go to the front of the line in January of 2021 in front of the elderly people and get their shots. <laughs> it's funny how that works, right? It only works in one direction with all of this, which is another topic I wanted to talk 
with you about because you mentioned it during our panel. And I think it's important that we spend a, a little bit of time on um, how different treatments for COVID like hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin um, mm -hmm. were tweet were treated and still are a little bit during COVID. Um, and that you, this, these are drugs that you used as a physician on your pregnant women prior to COVID, you know, ever happening. And now all of a sudden you're not, you're not allowed to. So tell us how you use these drugs in the past and the experience you had with it during COVID. Yeah. So I don't have personally, I mean, honestly, I never really heard of ivermectin until COVID because a lot of the the pediatricians use quite a bit of it for infections and whatnot and in other parts mm -hmm. of the world. But I mean, hydroxychloroquine I've known about since I've been early in practice and in training. I mean, that's used all the time for people with lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, other connective tissue disorders. And when our patients become pregnant, they stay on that medication the entire pregnancy. And, you know, the high-risk obstetricians don't bat an eyelash with that because, you know, but all of a sudden you want to use the same dose, 200 milligrams a day for five days to treat COVID. And now that's dangerous. I mean, no, made no sense. And I will tell you that all of my patients, whether they be obstetric or gynecologic that have lupus and they're on hydroxychloroquine, none of them got COVID. Very <laughs> interesting. That, that is that is so interesting. And I think it's important that you just said there that they take hydroxy for an extended period of time during their pregnancy. So we're not just talking about, like you said, the the five days during, um, you know, having COVID, but for a long period of time. Yeah. And I was specifically told I was not allowed to treat COVID and pregnancy with anything but, you know, vitamins. So I actually told our pregnant patients to take the quercetin because that's what Dr. Zelenko had to resort to when they when he couldn't find hydroxychloroquine anymore. Um, and I wasn't allowed to prescribe the horse dewormer. That's what ivermectin was referred to as. So just crazy. And I recently was on a Twitter space and there was a doctor from South Africa, very interesting, talking about how they found in a study, I guess, in Zimbabwe, um, people that took ivermectin, if they got bitten by a mosquito, the mosquito would die. Wow. So that's a much better way to get rid of these mosquitoes than these genetically modified mosquitoes that are letting loose in our state of Florida. <laughs> yeah, no what kidding. That? What does or that mean when they bite us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. And I think that's interesting you bring that up because we did hear that on how, you know, different countries worldwide that they used hydroxy or ivermectin mm -hmm. to treat all kinds of different ailments and, um, you know, how that was just mainstream there. But all of a sudden here in the U.S., we're not allowed to do that, even though other people or other countries were. Um, but but fast forward now. um, maybe you don't have to anymore. What, what are the protocols? Do they let you treat people with COVID your pregnant women with COVID, uh, with that still? No, mm -mm. no, no. Still and block. The, thought, the problem is in the way our company's structured, we all share in the malpractice. So if, a, if one doctor out of, we have over 300 
get suit. Well, we have more than even that number. You know, we all, it affects everybody. So we have protocols that we all have to follow because, you know, we're all in it together. And my own partner said, Kim, you know, I know there's probably no risk from those drugs, but if we have one, you know, if an obstetric patient, something happens to her and then they blame it on that drug, it's going to cause litigation and then you're hosed in the company, you know? So, mm -hmm. but it, it's just really sad. But fortunately now, I mean, it's pretty much a head cold. I mean, I've had a few patients that have had COVID early this year and it wasn't bad. I mean, I'm chief of staff of my hospital since 2020, January. We haven't even had a COVID unit in over a year. I mean, it's just, it's a non-issue now. I don't even know why they're continuing the emergency till May. And we haven't had an emergency for ever. Yeah. <laughs> we never yeah, really was, did. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, did you ever feel, I didn't realize you were also chief of staff of your hospital. Did you ever really feel like there was uh an emergency hitting your hospital? I mean, we were preparing for the worst because, you know, there was just yeah. so much fear in the beginning. And we actually, my hospital is just a block away from Tropicana Field where the Rays play. And we actually had conversations of opening up that stadium to be like a, you know, another hospital where we could have the cots and everything else, kind of like what they did in, in New York City that they didn't even need to use I mean, New York City got the freaking Navy ship and it was empty. I mean, they yeah. didn't, everybody that needed a bed in a hospital or a ventilator ended up getting one. I'm not saying there weren't times we weren't busy. And then the other, the other word salad that's used here is how ICUs were overwhelmed. Well, they weren't overwhelmed with patients. They were overwhelmed because if a nurse got COVID because of the CDC, she had to be out for two weeks and had to keep testing and couldn't come back to work until she tested negative, which is asinine because you're, you could test for months because you got dead crap in your nose, but that doesn't mean you're sick or infectious. So they were overwhelmed because we didn't have the staff, but all they have to do is put in the headline, you know, ICU's overwhelmed and everybody's like, oh my God. But we were never at pandemic anything. The whole thing is just, it just needs to stop. <laughs> Agreed. Well, and now they don't even, now they don't want to broach that subject at all. When I know that pretty much anybody who walks into any ER now these days is spending upwards of six, eight, 12 hours in the ER. They can't be mm -hmm. seen by a doctor. They hardly have any nurses to see them because there are no health. I mean, you tell me because uh, they've been laid off. They don't have healthcare workers anymore. Yeah, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. You know, a lot of hospitals lost staff when they tried to mandate or mm -hmm. did mandate the injections. And at that time, they were, they were already probably functioning at 60 to 70 percent capacity because I think a lot of healthcare people were really burnt out with you know, the pandemic and all the measures and everything. And um, yeah, now it's, it's, it's a problem. I mean, there, people are stuck in the ERs because people that have presented prior to them and have been deemed sick enough to be admitted, they're still in the ER because they're waiting for a hospital bed that isn't existing because they don't have enough nurses up on the floor. So it's, 
it's a problem. And a lot of ERs are seeing a lot of heart attacks and a lot of strokes, much more than prior to 2021 and in younger people. Um, so they're very busy because of that. Absolutely. So. And uh, meanwhile, you guys aren't as busy as you used to be because you don't, there's not as many pregnant people. And I think that, you know, as tragic um, as a miscarriage is, which it absolutely is, and, um, you know, menstrual irregularities are, are horrible to undergo, it is a unspoken um, tragedy that there are less people getting less women getting pregnant. And it's, uh, this could have some long-term implications. This is kind of a scary thought. Mm -hmm. Is this something that you have ever, um, you know, experienced? Is it as scary to you too, that there's less pregnant women? Yeah. I mean, 2021, I think was the first year where the death, the global death rate exceeded global births. So that means population's not increasing. And I, I haven't seen the data from 2022, but I'm sure it's going to be the same situation. You know, Japan got the Pfizer information where they did the biodistribution studies, clearly showing that the lipid nanoparticles went everywhere in these little rats' bodies. And they really concentrated in endocrine glands because endocrine glands like fat so these things concentrated in ovaries and testes, and we don't know what that means long-term. We don't know what that means if a pregnant woman gets the injection and that goes through to the fetus who may be female and makes all the eggs she's ever gonna have her entire life, and they're all made by 20 weeks of gestation. So this could be a multi-generational problem. Now, I don't know even the male fetus, you know, if it goes to, to its testes, you know, th these problems aren't going to be figured out until they're supposed to go through puberty, right? So that's another yeah. 10, 12 years after they're born. So we just, we don't know what we don't know, but what we should know by now is that this was a huge mistake and it needs to stop. And these people that are still recommending these injections, they, they really should, the patients need to go to another provider. I mean, they're just dangerous at that point. You can't ignore the dangers with these injections. I mean, the blood clots we've known about for a while, the myocarditis we've known about for a while. Now we're seeing the turbo cancers and the spike protein is being found in these tissues, you know? And people, young people, kids dropping dead because that's normal. I mean, I've never heard of SADS. I've never heard of SADS, but all of a sudden they just throw that out there like that's been an acronym we've had for decades. I mean, it just needs to stop. And the scary thing too is they wanna use this platform now moving forward, messenger RNA for all vaccines that these kids are going to have to get in order to go to school. And oh my God, it's just a nightmare. Yeah. And even, I mean, we know that pregnant women, like they're encouraged to get the flu vaccine or the, the 
the Tdap vaccine or Dtap vaccine and and things like that. Which, like you said, if we're if it's the spike pr- or the messenger RNA and the lipid nanoparticles that's causing these problems, um, we might need to be alert on all fronts with all of this. What do you? I know it's impossible to predict, but what do you predict is you will be seeing in your patients? Um, throughout the rest of this year with 2023. Do you think that these problems are going to continue to to happen, um, even though this could be year one, year two, even since some of these people have gotten vaccinated? Um, most people aren't running out and getting boosters anymore. So do you anticipate you know, things to kind of level off? Or do you think that we're still years later going to be seeing issues? You know, it's hard to say um, because it all depends on how, you know, what did the patient actually receive in the injection? Um, You know, are they around a lot of other people that have been uh, injected? Because then there's going to be this constant maybe shedding. So even if you're not getting an injection, you know, you might be around other people and then that may cause an issue. I'm actually very fearful of what the future holds because I think there's going to be a lot of illness um, in general in the population because we don't know long term what these things can do to anybody because that was never studied. Um, So probably a lot of autoimmune issues and sadly cancer. Um, So I don't know. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I don't want everybody that's watching this to be like, she's, she's so, you know, the grim reaper, but, um, you know, we, ju- we just don't know. And it's very sad that like you brought up that people need to do these studies, but Pfizer knew a lot of this. And so didn't Moderna when they went and presented to get, you know, EUA. I mean, this is, they never should have been put in anybody's arm. No, they're not. Mm -hmm. And I, and my prayer is too, that, um, pregnant women that have held out on getting the vaccine don't then go into their OBGYNs and are pressured all over again, just because they're now pregnant, uh, to be getting the vaccine. Cause that's an issue that I could see that you're prompted as a new patient somewhere and, or with a new quote unquote condition, I hate to call pregnancy a condition. It's a blessing, mm-hmm. but you know what I'm saying? That something new yeah. health wise is happening to them. So it's going to be pushed on them once again. Yeah. Well, that's not going to happen here. Um, Good. you know, my, my partner was, he did get the injections, but he feels like, you know, that was his choice. He was never, feeling like there should have been mandates, you know, that's a personal decision. And he now realizes that, you know, they really weren't of any benefit. So I don't think anybody in my office is going to be doing that. Um, But sadly, I know there are are other providers I know that probably are still may, I wouldn't say pushing, but recommending. I don't know of any OB in my area that won't see a patient because she hasn't been vaccinated. But there are some doctors out there that won't, which is crazy to me. These people that can't get transplants because they're not vaccinated. I mean, we won't do a liver transplant because somebody's drinking, right? I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's crazy to me. I just, 
I, I that's I mean, we don't deny care to people in the emergency room if they come in drunk or if they come in with a heart attack and they smoke cigarettes. I mean, that's kind of an, al an analogy with somebody who's not vaccinated. Now you're going to deny them an organ to which they could die if they don't get. I mean, it's just that that's crazy. And then I know there were doctors too that basically said, well, if you haven't been vaccinated, don't clog up my emergency room. I mean, mm -hmm. oh my God. It's like, we're supposed to be caring for people, you know? Very Yeah, sad. you take an oath. You take an oath. And yes. yeah, and I think a lot of people are questioning that, you know, what happened to so many doctors that take that oath? How did, what happened? <laughs> I don't know, but um, I want to plug this book. I didn't write it, but um, because Please. Hippocrates did say, um, let medicine be thy food and food be thy medicine. So we're as an allopathic trained physician, we're taught you have a problem. Here's a pill. You have a problem. Here's a pill. We didn't get really any training on nutrition. And, you know, most of us don't really bring that up. But uh, Dr. Uh, Lustig, I think is his name, wrote the book Metabolical. So I downloaded the audiobook and I'm already almost done. I've been listening to it on my way to work every day. And he is an endocrinologist, pediatric endocrinologist, but he focused on childhood obesity. And he basically goes into the whole food industry, um, all the different diets like vegan, carnivore, keto, um, but basically says, you know, our, we've always, you know, less calories, move more, but he's like, it's not, it depends on what you're eating, how the food was processed. Sadly, you know, grass-fed beef, right? Well, yeah, the majority of the cow's life eats grass, but the last month before slaughter, they pump it full of steroids, antibiotics, and have it eat corn, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, they call so it grain finished. So that way they yes. are more tender. So if you're if you are eating like a steak, for example, and it's a little bit uh, more chewy um, and you have a good repu you know, rapport with your farmer and you know that it was grass finished, um, right. that's a good indication. Uh, but a lot of these are, yeah, fit grain finished. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's a really interesting book because a lot of things we eat, you wouldn't really think how toxic it is to the body and the gut microbiome and oh my god three years ago i never thought I, those words would even be coming out of my mouth so if there's a silver lining for me <laughs> i COVID. love this 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 makes me glow and feels so awesome that this is that god has led you down this path dr Viss, because i think it is a path that um is needed for so many people and wanted you know us as patients the cl the clients we want that from our doctors and um, so that just makes me glow. I had on Sally Fallon Morell from the Weston A. Price Foundation. We talked a lot about um, prenatal and pregnancy diets, as well as, you know, what babies could be eating. And, you know, they have a whole diet that they um, recommend for, for women that's based on, you know, lots of protein, lots of eggs, egg yolks, things like that um, to really nourish their body pre-conception and post-conception. And it's, it's fascinating. I think it's great that doctors are wanting to get in on that. Yeah. If you could email me 
a yeah. link or something so that I could, you know, I would love to be able to talk to my patients about that. Absolutely. I've, oh, that mm -hmm. makes me so happy. I think you're right. I think there's a, um, there's a silver lining to all of this in, in every industry and especially in the medical industry. So I just salute everything that you guys are doing. And, um, you know, I'm really, really interested. We're going to keep our listeners up to date with what you guys are finding in your study with Dr. Cole looking at these tissue samples and, and what you're finding there. So um, I appreciate it. Any last parting words or words of wisdom to maybe fellow doctors and or patients out there? Patients, well, first and foremost, don't get any more injections. Um, they're not going to help you. If anything, they may hurt you. Um, and I would make sure everybody's taking vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, um, also vitamin K2. And, you know, if you can get your hands on some ivermectin, it's probably not going to hurt you to take a couple doses a week uh, just for prevention, but it, it may help some other things while you're at it. They're actually starting to look at ivermectin for like advanced cancer uh, treatment now. So, wow. I mean, it has a lot of different, it's, it's really an amazing drug because it does so many things evidently. Um, and, and lastly, you know, COVID now, like I said earlier, is like a head cold. So I don't want pregnant women to get super worried that, you know, they, if they get COVID because most of it's staying above, it's not going down into the lungs. And I haven't admitted a pregnant woman with COVID for over a year and a half now, I would have to say. So that's, that's wonderful. And one more time, where can people follow you on Twitter? So it's at doc. D-O-C-B-I-S-S. And I'm very sarcastic. So you have to really <laughs> process my tweet. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I think it's great. And you guys, um, all of you don't back down against uh, the Twitter mafia out there. And so I, I appreciate that. So thank you so much for your time today. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me anytime.